Hey Seacoast, yes, this is your pastor undercover in Israel. <laughs> We're having a great time. Uh, we visited a first century village uh, today and uh, yeah, I'm in the getup. Um, I just wanted to take a minute and introduce our speaker for today. Uh, his name's Roy Jakes. Uh, Roy's been with us for several years. He was on the Mount Pleasant team at the Mount Pleasant campus and now he's the campus pastor in Somerville. Give it up for him in Somerville now. And so I want everybody, all of our campuses, would you give a great big welcome to Roy Jakes as he comes to teach us today. Well, thank you guys. Well, thank you so much. Well, hello and good to see you guys this weekend. So glad to see you here at Seacoast and, and around the world. I want to welcome those who are joining us right now uh, at an off-site campus or here in another venue or online. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, obviously got to give a special shout out uh, to my, my new family up in Somerville and uh, our new, new church home up there. We love you guys. Miss you guys this weekend, but uh, look forward to being back with you next weekend. So as Pastor Greg said, we have been up in Somerville now for about seven weeks now. And uh, man, it's been awesome and it's just been great. We're getting settled in well. And uh, I think, uh, well, I know we love them and I think they love us. They haven't run us out yet. And uh, so we are, we're just excited about what God's going to do in Somerville and excited about how God's going to use us up there. But it is so good to be with you guys here uh, this weekend. Let me ask you a question. Have you noticed how obsessed we are as a culture with safety these days? <laughs> Have you noticed just, just how much like, you know, we just like everything is, we're trying to make everything as safe as possible. And I don't think any area is as obvious as the area of our children and the way that we try to protect our children. Uh, like, for instance, have you noticed playgrounds these days? The, the playgrounds that they're putting in for kids these days? Here's a picture of one. And, like, you know, everything is covered in, in plastic and, and rubber and big round edges and no seams. And even the floors these days are soft and padded that just in case they fall, they won't get hurt. Man, you remember playgrounds when we were growing up? This is a playground when we were growing up right here. That's a playground right there. Now, what you'll remember, you remember these slides, they were about two stories tall. So just getting to the top was scary enough. And then the best part about these slides is they were made of metal, absolutely, which means these things baked in the sun all day long. You couldn't slide until they were about 200 degrees. And then the worst part, I think, was the, was the, there was a seam always right in the middle which over time began to kind of, kind of come up a little bit, which meant as you slid down those things, they'd all, always cut you in some sensitive places there. How about the merry-go-round? Remember the merry-go-round? We used to load this thing up with as many kids as possible, spin that thing as fast as we could, and it was just hold on for dear life from there, right? And every single one of us has a story about being drugged underneath that merry-go-round. Just praying you didn't get hurt. Man, it's a different world today. How about, how about safety seats and child safety seats these days, right? I mean, everything's about like five-point harnesses and, you know, rear-facing children in the back seat till they're like 15 years old or something. <laughs> Man, when we were growing up, the cars didn't even have seat belts. At least we couldn't find them, right? In fact, this is the way we traveled when we were kids. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, I'll tell you, this picture is not even a, a true 70s, 80s picture. This is a more modern-looking car. Because you'll remember that back when we were growing up, the back, the back ledge underneath that window, it was about the size of a double bed right there, man. 
We went on vacation sleeping up there, and Lord forbid dad slammed on brakes because you were going tumbling all around in the back seat. Hey, here's one more. I had fun with this this week. I, I went to the store yesterday, and I bought this little set, this little play set, and, and the box says these are lawn darts. And it says what's included inside these is, is these soft tip, you know, rubber tip, got a spring on the front, and, and this is cute and all, and the kids throw out two rings on either side of the yard, and they try to throw these into the rings, and, and that's cool and that's cute and all, but the problem is, is those aren't lawn darts, Right? <laughs> Every single one of us that grew up in the 80s, we know what real lawn darts are. This is a lawn dart. <laughs> yep. Yep. These things weighed about five pounds, had a metal tip, not plastic, not rubber, metal, and it was sharpened so that these things would cut through and pierce through anything. I tried like crazy to find one to bring with me this weekend. You know, you literally cannot find a lawn dart these days because in the late 80s, Somebody got smart enough to make these lethal weapons illegal to sell, and you literally cannot find them. But, man, we're obsessed with safety these days, man. Everything, we try to get things safe, and we try to make everything, you know, perfect. And, but, but here's the thing, that, that even as hard as we've tried to make things safer, most people say they feel less safe today than ever before. In fact, an NBC Wall Street Journal uh, did a poll last year, September of last year. What was interesting about this poll is, is to compare the results to polls, similar polls that they've done over the years, going all the way back to 2001. Remember sept, uh, September 11, 2001 with the World Trade Center? They, asked, they took a similar poll back then, and they asked people, do you feel safe? And in 2001, 20% of Americans said, no, we don't feel safe. 20%. In 2013, they took a similar poll, and the number had jumped to 28%. September 2014, just last year, they took the same poll, and 47% of Americans said, no, we don't feel safe. Now, that was last year. And I wonder what would happen if we took that poll now, just, just one year later. How many of you if, you, if somebody asked you that question, how many of you would say you feel safe in the world that we live in? The fact is, I was thinking about safety this week. I was thinking about what it meant uh, to, to even be safe and what are the definition of safe. And, and so I looked it up, and here's the definition of safe. Now, 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 pay attention. Listen to this. This is a long definition, but it's quite interesting. Safety is the condition of being protected against physical, social, spiritual, financial, political, emotional, occupational, psychological, educational, or other types of or consequences of failure, damage, error, accidents, harm, or any other event which be considered non-desirable. So essentially, safety, <laughs> safety is this concept that we just want everything to be good, we want everything to be comfortable, we want everything to be okay. And in every single area of our life, emotionally, physically, sociologically, occupationally, all these areas, we don't want anything to happen to us that we might call not good. And I was thinking about this concept, I was thinking about the whole definition of safety this week, and what I realized is, is underneath this, this whole concept of safety is our desire to control things. We want to control the consequences. We want to control the outcomes. And so 
if we can just make things more safe, if we can make things more padded, if we can make things out of more plastic and rubber, if we can make things more safe, then somehow we'd like to think that we can more be certain of the consequences and the outcomes. But the longer we live and the longer you live, the more we realize that there's a lot in this world that we can't control. There's a lot in this world that we're uncertain of, that, that no matter how hard we try, that no matter how, how much we try to make things the way we want them, that at the end of the day, we can't always control the outcomes and the consequences. And so it leaves us feeling unsafe. Or some might say it fe leaves us feeling uncertain. We live in an uncertain world. We've been in this series called AD, and we've been tracking along with the uh, primetime NBC series on Sunday night called AD, The Bible Continues. And, and in this series, what we're looking at is the very first church, the first century church, after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And he's gone, and, and, and he's, he's, the, the church is beginning to form, and the disciples are beginning to spread the message. And to say that the, the, the times during the first century, as the church was being formed, to say that times were uncertain would be a major understatement. They had just lost their leader. They had just lost the, 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 the person that they had formed this new movement and following after Jesus was gone. And now all of a sudden, uh, the church was being persecuted. The church was being scattered. People were being arrested. People were being put in jail. People were losing their lives. And there was a lot of uncertainty around the movement. And it's in the midst of this, uh, in Acts chapter 9 today is what we're going to be looking at, that we meet a man named Saul. Now in Acts chapter 7 that we looked at just a few weeks ago, we talked about the stoning of Stephen, who was the very first Christian martyr. At the end of that story, the very first verse of chapter 8 says, and Saul was there giving approval to Stephen's killing. And so Saul was, he was there, he was the, Saul was at the, the, the top of the list in terms of people that, if you were to put together like the worst of the worst list, if you were to put together a list of the, of the meanest, nastiest people, Saul was at the top of the list. Saul hated Christians, and he hated the Christian church. And Saul's mission, as we look at, as we see him in Acts 7, 8, and 9, Paul's mission at that point in his life was to eradicate the world of Christianity and of Christians. And so when we open up chapter 9, which we'll be looking at today, uh, Paul, Saul at the time, Saul is on his way to Damascus, and he asks for permission from his leader that as he goes to Damascus, that if he could find anybody who is a Christ follower, if he could uh, find anybody who belongs to this thing that at the time they called the way, that he could arrest them and put them in jail and get rid of them. And so we know the story. Most of us probably know the story of, of, of Saul's conversion on the Damascus Road. And, and so Saul sets out to Damascus, and he has an encounter with Jesus. And let's take a look at what that might have looked like. Saul. Saul. Why do you persecute me? Who are you? I am Jesus, whom you persecute. No. 
And so the story in Acts chapter 9 tells us that, that Saul, now blind, uh, goes on down to Damascus, as Jesus tells him to do. And he's led into Damascus, and there he spends three days. And the Bible says he doesn't eat or drink for three days. And in Acts chapter 9, Jesus shows up to a man named Ananias. Ananias was a Christian living in Damascus. And God shows up to Ananias, and he says, Ananias, I want you to go to the house of Judas, where there's a man waiting named Saul. And, and right now, he's having a, a vision. He's having a dream about you coming to him. And what I want you to do is I want you to go tell Saul that from this point forward, I have chosen him to be a missionary for my name and for the gospel. And from this point forward, he is going to help take the gospel to the Gentiles and to the entire unknown world. And so Ananias goes, and he heals Saul, and he restores his sight. And, and the Bible tells us in Acts 9 that Saul immediately uh, converts, he gives his life to Jesus, and he's baptized. And then from there, after Acts chapter 9, that we read in the rest of the, the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament, that Paul goes on to become the greatest missionary that the church has ever known. To this day, nobody has ever done more for this kingdom than what Paul did in his day. In fact, much of the New Testament, about two-thirds of what we know as the New Testament, is written by this man who was once Saul, who eventually becomes Paul, and goes on to change the landscape of the Christian church. But it wasn't all pretty for Paul. It wasn't all great. The journey wasn't all nice and pretty. In fact, along the way, Paul experienced some of the most incredible persecution. He, he experiences some of the most incredible uh, torture and just, just unhappiness in life that anybody could possibly ever go through. And ultimately, because of his mission, because of his desire to tell people about Jesus, ultimately, later on, Paul's life ends with himself being beheaded and losing his life. And so what I want to do this morning is not necessarily go through verse by verse through Paul's story and, and through his life, but I just want to take, a, take the next few minutes as we think about Paul's life from all the way from his conversion ultimately to his losing his life. In this world of uncertainty, in this world where things, where we can't always control the outcomes, I want to see some things. I want to point out some things that, the, that Paul's story helps us see that even in the midst of uncertainty, we can be certain of some things. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you would like to leave here today feeling a little more certain about the future and about what's coming our way? Well, let's take a look at four things that I think the story of Paul teaches us that we can be certain of. Number one, we can be certain that there's a higher value in the kingdom of God than safety. We can be certain of this, that God's, in God's economy, that safety, our safety and your safety and our protection isn't necessarily God's highest priority. 
Now, my, my fear is, is that, is that we as, as believers have come to a place where we've uh, e e uh, made equivalent what it means to be a Christ follower, that, that somehow we're supposed to be promised this thing of safety and protection and, 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 well, and our good welfare. And I, and I see this, and, I, and I've come to this conclusion because I've listened to the way that we pray as believers. I listen to the way we pray, particularly as Americans in an American culture. And if you listen long enough to the way that the people around you pray, and maybe the way you pray, you'll hear some phrases over and over again that I think indicate that. And they're phrases like, God, watch over and what? Protect me, right? We hear this prayer over and over again. God, I, I'm going to work today. I'm traveling. God, just watch over and protect me. Or, or we'll ask God, we're, we're going on a trip, and we say, God, give us traveling mercies, which I honestly, I'm not even sure what that exactly means, but somehow I think it means that we just want God to kind of wrap the car in bubble wrap or something, get us safely from here to there as we go. And we pray for health, and we pray for protection, and we pray for success, and now, is it wrong to pray for those things? No. But my fear is, is that the longer we pray those prayers, that eventually we buy into this thinking that part of following Christ is that he promises us that he's going to grant those prayers. That as long as we pray those prayers, that somehow God owes us protection and safety and success and comfort. And it's just not part of his promise. In the New Testament. In fact, when, when Jesus calls Saul into this new mission, into this new journey, he makes it very clear to Saul it's not gonna be all pretty, it's not gonna always be for your good, it's not gonna always be about your safety and protection. In fact, in Acts 9:16, Jesus says, I will show him, talking about Saul, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Saul's call into ministry, Saul's call into the mission was a call to come and to suffer for the sake of the mission. What in the world would call, call Saul, somebody like Saul, to say yes to that? I was thinking about that this week, and as we were getting ready for this weekend, I saw an incredible parallel as we, we celebrate Memorial Day this weekend. And, and I use that word lightly because for, for most of us, it's a celebration. But let's face it, for many, it's not a celebration. Because what we remember this weekend is that, that there are men and women who have gone before us who have signed up and given their life so that you and I can be here and that we can be free. And if you're here today and your family, maybe you've lost a loved one or a neighbor or a friend, and we just want to say thank you for you allowing them to sacrifice their lives for us. But I got to thinking about that, and I thought, why in the world would a man or a woman walk into a, to a military recruiting office and sign their name on the dotted line, knowing that they're willingly putting their life in harm's way, knowing that they're willingly maybe going to lose their life? And it's because they believe in the mission. It's because they so believe in the cause that they've come to a point to say, it's worth giving up my life so that we can be free. And it's an incredible mission. And I don't want to shortchange it in any way, but church, there is a greater mission than that. And it is that men and women, boys and girls, all across the globe, in every neighborhood, in every city, would come to know the name of Jesus. And that is the ultimate mission. It's the mission that, that God left in our hands. And sometimes 
Sometimes God's going to grant us safety, and sometimes God's going to grant us success. But sometimes, for the sake of the mission, God's not always going to answer those prayers. And if we've bought into this thinking that it's part of the promise or that it's something that God owes us, then in that day, our faith will be shaken because somehow, some way, the only thing we're left to believe is that God didn't hold up his end of the bargain. But if we begin to understand that there's a higher value in the kingdom, there's a higher value in God's economy than just our safety and our comfort, but it's that the name of Jesus would be known in every household, in every place all around the world. Saul understood this, and Saul said yes to the mission. And later on in 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing, and he's explaining, and he's giving kind of an overview of what he's been through. And in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four, here's what he says. He says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Apparently, Paul wasn't praying the prayer, God, give me traveling mercies. <laughs> I mean, you'd think after one shipwreck, Paul would have got the prayer, right? God, protect me, keep me safe, give me traveling mercies. But no, God said, I'm not going to answer that prayer, Paul. Two more times, your ship's wrecking. He goes on. He says, I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I think Paul was in danger. We get it. He says, I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. But listen to verse 28. He says, besides everything else, translation, like, that was all bad. But you know what's even worse? Besides all of that, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul's saying there's a mission. And as I've gone around, as we've planted churches, and as, and as new Christians have committed their lives at the end of the day, yes, all that's happened to me was bad, and I would, I would probably choose not to go there, but at the end of the day, what keeps me up at night, what drives me, what, what I live for is my concern for the mission, that the name of Jesus would be known in every household across the earth. And so what about you this morning? Have you ever considered that God's call to the mission, and if God has changed you and if God has done something in you and now he's called you to to help others see that and to help others experience that that maybe sometimes there's a higher value than our safety here's a second thing we can be certain of we can be certain that God can change anyone as I said earlier Saul would be at the top of the of the most hated list he'd be at the top of the the, the meanest baddest people that ever walked the face of the earth even today, as we turn on the news and we look around the world, there's not a list of people that you could put together that was any more dangerous and mean than Saul. And yet God radically changed Saul's life. And it just reminds me that, that no matter how uh, mean or tough or, or how, how, how much anybody is, is determined to, to bring harm to you or to the church, that God can change anyone. And if I'm being honest, and I'll be honest for you guys this morning, because 
Because you guys are probably more spiritual than I am. But when I turn on the news and I read the events and I read about people that would bring harm to, to Christians or to the church, it's easy for me just to think, God, if you would just kind of eliminate them from the scene, life would be a whole lot better. I'm sure I'm the only one that thinks that way. Or maybe your, your boss at work that gives you a hard time because they're not a believer and they know that you are and, and you're convinced that they're just out to kind of make life miserable for you. It'd be a whole lot easier if God would just remove them from their position, wouldn't it? And yet when I look at Paul's story, I'm reminded that God can change anyone. And look what happens when God changes someone like that. And so rather than just wish them dead or wish them gone or wish that God would remove us, that, that there's something else that we can have faith in, that at the end of the day, God can even change them. We can be certain of that. There's a third thing we can be certain of. We can be certain that we still have a part to play in God's mission. In Acts chapter 9, verse 10, it says, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Verse 13, Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Translation, and, and if I were Ananias, I'd be thinking the same thing. God, let me get this straight. Saul, the guy that we've heard about, the guy that we know hates us and hates Christians, uh, we've heard about all the harm he's done. We know that, that he set out, even his, what he's doing here in this town is that he came to persecute us and to, and to haul us away and to arrest us. And even worse now, you've picked a fight with him, you've blinded him, and now you want me to go and deliver the message to him. If I'm Ananias, I'm thinking, God, you better finish what you started here. Because I'm not sure I want to go and deliver that message. But Jesus says to Ananias, he says, go. And it reminds us in that moment that the Great Commission hasn't changed. That Jesus lived on this earth for 33 years and he did amazing things and he, he healed people and he changed lives. But at the end of that time, he went back up into heaven and he said, from this point forward, the mission is in your hands. And I'm calling you to go. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Jesus said, go and make disciples. And if the mission is going to go forward, if the mission is going to take in your community, it's going to take you being a part. I mean, it would be great if God would just do it himself. Wouldn't it be great if, if, if we could just like every day come to God with a list of the people that we want to know Jesus? If we could just kind of put it before God and say, God, my neighbor needs to know you. Would you, would you show up to him in a dream and, 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 and change his life? God, I, I got this person at work and, and they're giving me a hard time with would you today, would you just like appear before their car on their way to work and radically transform their lives? And wouldn't it be awesome if we could just stand on the sidelines and cheer for God as, as he does his work and as he changes and we could just kind of sit back and live our lives and do our own thing? But, but, but Paul's story, Saul's story reminds us that you and I still have a part to play in the story. God's not going to do it all. 
God has left the mission in our hands, and he still has a part for you and I to play in the kingdom. We can be certain of that. There's a fourth thing we can be certain of. We can be certain that God will not abandon his people and his church. If I'm, if I'm just putting myself in the place of, of the first century believers, if I'm putting myself into the book of Acts, I can't imagine what was going through their minds. I can't imagine what they must have been thinking, that now their leader is gone, and they're watching their friends be arrested, they're watching their friends lose their lives. I can't help but wonder, where in the world is God in the midst of all this? Surely they must have been feeling like God had abandoned him, like that God had forgotten about them. And in Saul's story, on the road to Damascus, God reminds them in just a blink of an eye, I'm still here, and I'm still present. And in fact, Jesus shows up, and, and as we saw on the scene, Jesus asked this question to Saul. He says, Saul, in verse 4, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute who? Me. And in that moment, it reminds us that, that persecution to God's people and to God's church is personal to Jesus. It's why the New Testament says that you and I as believers, as the church, that we are the body of Christ. And God will not forget and abandon his own body. And in that moment, we have an incredible reminder that even in the midst of horrible circumstances, even the, in the midst of great persecution, God is still there. He did not abandon his people 2,000 years ago, and he will not abandon us no matter what we go through. There's incredible certainty and security in knowing that we are not alone in the journey. And so what do we do with this today? What do we do with these certainties in an uncertain world, knowing that we can be certain of, of a few things? What do we do with this? I want to leave you with just a few, uh, three quick things there in your notes. The first thing I think we should do is pray for those that persecute. Now, now I, we, we use that word persecute, and I'm, I'm aware this morning and, and, and that, that most of us in this room, thank God, will never experience what we would call true persecution. Most of us will never have to choose between living or dying for our faith. I hope that's not the case. I'm reminded this morning that, that online right now, there are probably people who are with us this morning, and you are in places where every day you have to make that decision, where people around you are making that decision. And I just want to say to you today that we are with you, we are for you, we are the church, and we're praying for you, and we pray that God would keep you safe, and we pray that God would protect you. But let's face it, for most of us here in this room and in the campuses that are watching, for us, persecution, the worst persecution might be that we get ridiculed for our faith a little bit. Or the worst persecution is that we might lose our job because we spoke up for our faith. Or the worst persecution is that we might not get the promotion because of our faith. Now, I, I don't want to diminish that. That, that is, is, is harm in some way. That's physical, that's emotional, that's occupational harm. And it would just be real easy when we face persecution, when we face harm, or when we get uh, pushback from people in our lives, it'd be just real easy, like I said earlier, to say, God, if you would just eliminate them from my life, or if you would just remove me from their life, things would be a whole lot easier. And yet, in the Bible, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus reminds us 
that he calls us to something different. In Matthew 5, 43, he says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In other words, the world will tell you, and let's face it, the world does say that, right? The world says you're to love the people that love you and you're to hate the people that hate you. And yet Jesus calls us as believers to something different. He says, I'm calling you to pray for the people that would seek to bring you harm in any area of your life. Why? Because they need Jesus. And because can you imagine what would happen if that boss that is, that is, is, is giving you a hard time and is, and is making the office environment miserable, what would happen if they gave their life to Jesus? Think it would change the office environment a little bit? What would happen if, as we turn on the news, the people all around the globe that we see as, as those who would, would seek to kill and to persecute Christians, what would happen if they began to commit their lives to Jesus? Think it would make a difference in our world? Absolutely. And God calls us to pray for them. And so my challenge to you this morning is this week, as you go out into, the, into your world and as you read the news, rather than just wish that God would take care of them, what if our heart was to pray for them? To pray that God would show up and do in their lives what he did thousands of years ago in Saul's life. There's a second thing I think God's calling us to do with this. Second thing is to be bold and go. Be bold and go. First Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.7 reminds us, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Somebody once said, Courage isn't the absence of fear, but rather moving forward in spite of it. Being a part of the kingdom, being a follower of Jesus, doesn't assure us that everything's going to be safe and perfect. But in the midst of the uncertainty, Jesus says we can have a boldness about us. We can have a confidence about us. Why? Because he doesn't leave us or forsake us. He is there. He is present. And because of what Jesus has done in our lives, we can be bold, and he calls us to go. And where does he call us to go? Maybe for some of you this morning, the go is, is across the street to a neighbor. Maybe there's a neighbor that, that, if you were to be honest this morning, you'd say, you know, uh, I'm not sure that they'd be a good influence on my family. I'm not sure they'd be a good influence on my kids. And it'd be a whole lot easier just to kind of stay away from them, to, to shut up inside of our house, and to, to just kind of leave them be for our safety and for our protection. And yet the neighbor needs Jesus, Right? He needs to know who Jesus is. And sometimes that means making me vulnerable, making my family vulnerable to some things that they might hear that I'd rather them not hear or to some things that I'd rather not see. But at the end of the day, God has called me to go and to engage in the mission. Maybe for some of you, the call is to go to the, to the places in the world. Maybe it's on a mission trip where people need to know Jesus, but it's the places in the world that everybody else would say, no way, no how, it's too dangerous. I mean, it would just be nice if God would just kind of take care of that for us and if God would, would, would save the people of so-and-so. But at the end of the day, he's called me and you to go. 
And maybe he's calling you this morning to, instead of being afraid, instead of allowing fear to keep you from going, to say, God is with me. God is for his people and his church. And I'm just going to go. And I'm going to trust him in the midst of it. There's a third thing this morning that I think God is calling us to do. And this is for everybody in the room. Number three is to see all of my life as something God wants to use for the mission. To see every aspect of my life, every circumstance, every situation I'm in as something that God wants to use for the mission. And some of you are here this morning and life is great. You're successful and business is good and financially things are great and you're in a great neighborhood and you've got great relationships. And I say, praise God, that's awesome. So the question is, is how does God want to use this time in your life for his kingdom and for his mission? How does God want to use the resources in your life for the mission? And maybe you're in a place right now, you're in a great healthy place to, to really allow God to use you for his kingdom. But maybe some of you are here today and, and you're, you're not in a good place. You're not in a job that you, you would want to be in. You're not living in a, in a house that you'd want to be living in. You're, 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 you're dealing with an illness. You're dealing with a, a sickness that you would rather, and you've been praying that God would heal you, but for some reason God hasn't. And maybe it would be real easy for us to, to, to get mad and to get angry at God because we bought into this idea that, that God was supposed to, to, to make us successful and was supposed to protect us and keep us healthy. And for all we know, God has let down his promise. And maybe you've heard some things this morning that have hopefully encouraged you that in the midst of what you're going through, God is there and God has a purpose. And God wants to use what you're going through for the mission. And it's okay to pray for God to deliver you, and it's okay for God to pray. To, it's okay to pray that God would change your circumstances. But until He does, or until He takes you home to be with Jesus, that you would begin to pray even a better prayer, and that is, God, just use me. Use me here that other people would know the name of Jesus. I want to leave you with one verse that I hope will encourage you today. It's John 16, It's there on the bottom of your notes. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. What has he told us? He's, in, this, in this chapter, he's given them a heads up about some things that are coming their way. He's told them about some things that they can be certain of. And they're not all great, but he said, just be prepared. Here's what's coming. But there is a way that in the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of the scariness, there is a way that you can have peace. Why? He said, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That in the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of whatever circumstance you find yourselves in, that you'd rather not be in, that there is nothing you could come up against, there is nothing that you could face going into the future that God hasn't already overcome in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so it may not always be for my good, it may not be always safe and protection for me, but at the end of the day, one day, it's all good. Because as a follower of Jesus, there is an eternity for me. There is a place in heaven with Jesus. And I may not be healed on this side of eternity, but one day, it's all good.
And so we're called to go. We're called to engage in the mission. We're called to accept the fact that, that sometimes God's not going to answer the prayers, and it's okay, but in the midst of it, God wants to use us in the mission. And so what about you today? Are you okay with that? Are you okay with the name of Jesus being proclaimed all around the world in your neighborhood, in your work, in your schools, and that God would sometimes use even the painful things in your life to bring about his good? Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for what you did and for what you've done. And God, thank you for Jesus and the cross and that you've overcome. God, thank you that nothing we could ever come up against, that nothing we could ever face, that, that no persecution, no terror in our lives, no harm coming our way could ever come our way that you don't know about, that you're not sovereign over, and that you haven't already overcome on the cross. And so, Father, this morning, I pray that that would encourage us. I pray that it would give us a boldness. I pray that it would give us a confidence as we move forward in this thing called life. And so, God, above all, just as you've changed us and just as you've saved us, God, our desire is that every man, woman, boy, and girl would come to know Jesus. And we just pray, God, that you would use us in the mission. We pray this in your name. Amen. We want to respond today, and we're asking the question, as always, what has God said to you today, and what are you going to do about it? What is God calling you to do with what you've heard today? Let me suggest maybe a couple of things. You know, I was thinking about the cross this week, and, and we have crosses here in our, in our auditorium, and, and wherever you may be listening, there's a, there's a cross there. And I was thinking about, uh, th th there are basically two ways we can look at the cross. We can either see the cross as an unpleasant horrible event because it was for Jesus and in fact Jesus himself in the garden we know he even prayed God if there's any other way that this can happen if there's any other way that the mission can, can, can be accomplished without me having to go to the cross then I pray that you would do that but at the end of the day if giving up my life is what it takes then your will be done I'm okay with that but it was brutal for Jesus and so we can either see the cross as this horrible, uh, tragic event where Jesus had to die, or we can see it as the most incredible gift that you and I have ever get, been given. And we can see it as this beautiful thing in the midst of the pain and in the midst of the suffering. It's where God chose to change the world forever. And I was thinking about that this week, and I thought some of you are in circumstances and dealing with situations that you could look at it in those two ways. You can either see it as a horrible thing, you can either see it as a nightmare, you can either see it as something to be mad at God about, or you can begin to see it as something that God wants to use to change the world. And this morning, I want to encourage, if that's you, to go to a cross this morning, and to maybe write that circumstance, or to write that situation down on a piece of paper, and to pin it to the cross, and today, to give up being angry at God and being frustrated with God because he hasn't changed your circumstance or because he hasn't done what you've been praying for, but rather see today that, God, you want to use me in the midst of this. And I'm just giving up being mad and frustrated, and I'm just saying today, God, would you use me right where I am for the mission? 
Maybe some of you would go to prayer teams in the back all along the walls and, and, and you'd ask them to, to pray with you, to encourage you. Maybe you're dealing with something, you're having a hard time understanding where God is in the midst of it. And maybe you just need somebody to pray for encouragement and for hope in your life right now. They'd love to pray with you this morning. We're going to come and we're going to take communion together and we're going to celebrate this incredible God who gave his life so that you and I could be in a relationship with him. And as you take the, the bread and dip it in the juice, remember that Jesus paid an incredible sacrifice for you and for me. And then we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And, and no matter what you're going through, whether it be awesome and it's just easy to praise God or whether it's hard, in the midst of that, we're going to stand and we're going to sing and we're going to praise this incredible God who loves us so and who will never forsake us or abandon us. And so what is God saying to you this morning? And what are you going to do about it? Let's respond together.